Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. It's electrified. Boogie, woogie, woogie. So you can boogie, woogie, woogie into the forest. Boogie. Boogie, woogie, woogie through the mud. Or boogie, woogie, woogie to work, where you boogie, woogie, woogie down the hall to your boss's office to tell him you quit. Then you boogie, woogie, woogie to the elevator as he boogie, woogie, woogies after you, begging, please, take me with you. The electrified Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. Learn more at Jeep.com. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. We have a lot to get to this week. We're going to be looking at week two of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and I'm also going to give a little bit of a report card on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, look at phase four compared to the other phases, give my notes about things they maybe could have done better, and maybe some conceptions out there that don't quite stack up when you look at the numbers. So a lot to talk about. Before we get to that, though, I want to thank my partner here on the show, as always, Carbon Health. We are right in the middle of cold and flu season, and it's looking like a particularly nasty one. That's why Carbon Health offers so many services, including flu shots and immunizations. If you download the Carbon Health app right now, you can see if there's a Carbon Health office near you, or you can use the app to do things like virtual appointments if you can't get to the office or if there's not one nearby. Carbon Health also keeps walk-in appointments open every single day because they understand that not everybody can schedule their health care. I love Carbon Health's mission, which is to expand access to affordable health care to as many people as possible. And that's just one reason why I'm proud to have them as a partner here on the show. So thank you as always to Carbon Health. By the way, just one technical note, I've gotten a lot of feedback on how the stuff on my channel has looked over the past week. And that's because my camera, the one that I usually use, uh, completely unexpectedly broke down and I had to send it away, like in the mail away to get fixed. I don't know when I'm gonna have it yet. So I've been filming everything for the last week on my phone and the phone video quality is fine, but the color's a little bit off and I've been trying to tweak it and people have been saying like, oh, you look too yellow. Now you look too red. Just so you know, this is what I have to work with. This is what I'm correcting uh, day in and day out on the channel and I'm doing the best I can. I've been consulting videos and stuff, but uh, please, a little patience. I understand people say I look jaundiced. People say I look like a Simpson. People say I look too red. I'm doing the best that I can. I hope to have my regular camera back soon. Uh, so you may just have to live with me looking a little bit yellow or a little bit red for another week or two until I can get those repairs squared away. Let's look at the box office for this past weekend. At number one was, of course, Black Panther Wakanda Forever with a drop of about 63.3%. That's on the steeper side, but not quite the avalanche that you worry about when you're looking at comic book films specifically. We'll see how it stacks up against the other movies in the MCU in just a minute. At number two was a movie that I quite enjoyed. I didn't get a chance to see it until Sunday, The Menu. It's a good movie, and I hope word of mouth really takes over. It debuted just over $9 million at 
number two. At number three was a special event for the TV series The Chosen. The Chosen is a crowdfunded series about the life of Jesus. The first two episodes of season three were in about 2,000 theaters over the weekend, and it was good enough for number three on the charts with just over $8.7 million. Black Adam slips to number four in its fourth week with a 42.7% drop and a total of about $4.6 million. And staying in the top five in its fifth week was Ticket to Paradise with a 45.9% drop and a total of just over $3.1 million. So let's look at that second weekend drop-off for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I said last week that the opening weekend is one part of the story, the second weekend is another part of the story, and I think a big part of it is going to be this holiday week coming up, which we'll talk about in just a second. But let's look at this second weekend drop-off and see how it compares to other films in the MCU. You see all the way there on the left that the original Black Panther movie actually had the best weekend one to weekend two hold of any movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It dropped just 44.7% from weekend one to weekend two. Black Panther Wakanda Forever was not able to duplicate that feat. When you look at these movies, the ones in orange are the phase four films. And you'll see all the way on the right that the bottom six holds, the movies that held the least from weekend one to weekend two, are all movies movies that happened in phase four. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the only MCU phase four film that was able to defy that trend. It actually had one of the 10 best holds in the MCU, but we see that Eternals dropped 62.3% and then Black Panther Wakanda Forever was right behind it with a 63.3% drop. It's a few more percentage points though before you hit the other films in phase four. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness had a 67% drop. Spider-Man No Way Home had a drop of 67.5%. Thor Love and Thunder 67.7% and Black Widow 67.8%. I actually saw a story, it was in one of the trades, I think it was Variety or The Hollywood Reporter, that was saying that well, Black Panther Wakanda Forever had the best second weekend hold of any movie, a Marvel movie, in the pandemic era. I guess they don't consider Shang-Chi and Eternals to have happened in the pandemic era because they both held better in weekend two, although Eternals just barely held better than Wakanda Forever. Obviously, when compared to the first Black Panther film, it had a much larger drop from the first weekend to the second weekend. Part of that can be attributed to the long running time of the film. Part of it can be attributed to the fact that it has a little bit of a different tone, and part of it could maybe be attributed to the fact that audiences may not like it quite as much. Let's look at it when you compare it to the run of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness day by day. The openings for the two films were very similar. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is the blue line on top. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the orange line on the bottom, and you see that they're running largely parallel. Now, you see a bit of a wide there on about day seven between the blue line and the orange line. That's because Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out in the summer. So you had more weekday movie going than you have with Black Panther Wakanda Forever this past week. The one thing I'm going to be looking at as of day 10, which was the end of the weekend on Sunday, Wakanda Forever was tracking about $5 million behind Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at the same time in its run. What is going to happen over this Thanksgiving week and weekend because Multiverse of Madness didn't have that holiday week right after it came out. I think my projection would be that Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to pass the performance on a day-by-day basis of Multiverse of Madness due to people that maybe didn't see the movie uh, and were waiting until the Thanksgiving weekend, maybe because it's a little bit longer, or we're waiting to go see it again until the Thanksgiving weekend. I think we're going to see it start tracking ahead, even if it's just slightly, of what Doctor Strange was doing. If it doesn't, then that's also going to be very instructive about the legs of this 
film and where it may end up domestically. Right now, I think it's going to end up about the same as Multiverse of Madness domestically. That's something I'm going to talk about when we look at this MCU report card in just a few minutes. But honestly, I thought that Wakanda Forever would hold a little bit better. I thought that it would be dropping somewhere closer to the 55 to 60%. So it was a bit of a steeper drop than I expected. But I am going to be watching very closely what happens over this next week because there could have been some people this past weekend that weren't going to the movies because they were traveling to where they might be spending this Thanksgiving week or they were out shopping for food, getting their menus ready. But we just don't know. I, I, I can't go knock on everybody's door and ask them why they didn't go see Wakanda Forever this weekend. That's why I always say it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that this next week really um, next to the opening of the film is going to be the most crucial week when we're writing the box office story of Wakanda Forever. Looking at 6 through 10 at the box office, She Said, which is the story about the investigation into Harvey Weinstein, was not expected to do exceptionally well, but it did even worse than projected. A $2.2 million total despite a wide release in over 2,000 theaters. A lot of people scratching their heads on that one, especially because this was supposed to be an awards contender. Although I contend that the awards contenders are losing the interest of the audience in general. I think that's a big reason why the Academy Awards ratings have been so far down. That's a rant for another show. I think I may actually be putting something together about the Academy and what I might do if I ran it. But I don't think that really the expectation should have ever been there. That there were people uh, leading up into the holiday, if they were going to go to the movies, that they would jaunt down to see a story about the Harvey Weinstein investigation. We've seen so many movies that do platform releases, including The Fablemans, which is expanding so slowly. It's something else we're going to talk about in a few minutes. I don't exactly know why She Said was put out immediately in a wide release. This feels like a movie that should have started on a few screens and expanded gradually nationwide. But, you know, I, I don't do these releases. I don't do the release plans. I just report on them. At number seven is Lyle Lyle Crocodile. In its seventh week, a 40.4% drop and a $1.9 million total. Smile remains in the top 10 after eight weeks with a 50.4% drop and a $1.1 million total. A new title here at number nine from India, a Hindi language film, Drishyam 2, just over $1 million at the domestic box office and just under $1 million in its fourth week is Pray for the Devil, a 52.5% drop from last weekend. Four movies dropped out of the top 10 in order to make room for all of the new ones. Tar actually dropped out of the top 10 for the second time after just one week. One Piece Film Red drops out of the top 10 after two weeks. The Banshees of Inisherin drops out of the top 10 after four weeks. And Till drops out of the top 10 after five weeks. When we look at the domestic box office weekend total on what I call the road to recovery, you see that green line there after last week going way above the average from 2015 to 2019 pre-pandemic. It dips again way below, closer to where we were last year in 2021, although still above where we were at the box office on this weekend last year. So a brief flirtation without performing the pre-pandemic total, but then dipping back down below. We will see if some of the other holiday releases can get us back up above that blue line again. I think we're going to see it once or twice more, but my plan is to fold this year's box office performance into 2021's box office performance, and so next year when we're looking at the same chart, we'll basically have the average of 2015 to 2019 pre-pandemic, and then an average of 2021 to 2022 with theaters reopening in the later stages of the pandemic, and we can actually maybe start to get a baseline of, is this the new normal or are we continuing to improve? So this chart's not gonna go away next year. We're just going to adjust and keep adding data to it. Let's see the top films on a per theater basis and Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All, starring Taylor Russell, 
Timothy Chalamet and Mark Rylance was number one in five theaters, bringing in $24,000 per theater. Not quite up there with some of the movies like The Banshees of Sharon as far as a per theater average, but still good enough for number one over the past weekend. The Fablemans, also still playing in just four theaters, was a close second with $22,000 per theater, so about a 50% drop from its big performance last weekend. Black Panther Wakanda Forever at number three, bringing in $15,000 in each of its 4,396 theaters. A24's The Inspection in just five theaters, bringing in $13,188 per theater. And then at number five is a film called EO, which is from Poland. It's actually Poland's submission this year for the Best International Film Academy Award. It's a movie about a mule wandering the countryside and the different people he meets. It was a jury prize winner at Cannes, which basically means they wanted to give it a special recognition. And as I mentioned, it will be eligible to be nominated for an Academy Award. So who knows? In a few weeks, this donkey mule movie might be an Oscar nominee. Looking at movies in limited release, so this is 1,000 theaters or fewer, Drishyam 2 was at number one, the only movie in limited release to break over $1 million. The Banshees of Sharon remains number two with another $729,000 in 812 theaters. Triangle of Sadness, which has been on this chart for several weeks now, is at number three with $171,717 in 128 theaters. Bones and All in its five theaters was good enough for number four on the list with $121,004. And at number five is Park Chan-wook's decision to leave in its sixth week of release in 96 theaters for a total of $91,586. I actually just got a screener link today to watch this movie, which I can't wait to do because I want to make sure I see it before I nominate everything for the different critics groups. Looking at the limited release top 10 grocers for the year, Brahmastra Part 1 Shiva is still number one, but it is being threatened now by the Banshees of Inisharan, which rises four spots from last week, now just under $7.2 million and making a serious play to become the top grossing limited release film of 2022 bts permission to dance which has occupied that number two spot for a very long time drops down to number three kgf chapter two drops down to number four marcel the shell with shoes on drops down to number five the portion of terrifier 2's release when it was in limited release drops down to six and then we have an unchanged bottom four orphan first kill at number seven pony and selvan at number eight moon age daydream at number nine and cyrano at number 10 Looking at the 2022 domestic fall slash holiday box office, so this will be for the last third of the year, everything post Labor Day. Nothing's really changed as far as the order, just the totals. Black Panther Wakanda Forever now has almost $300 million domestically, $287.1 million through 10 days. Black Adam is at number two at $157 million. Smiles at number three at $104.5 million, followed by The Woman King at number four. Halloween Ends at number five. Ticket to Paradise at number six if it keeps going it could very well take that number four spot in the next week or two don't worry darling is at number seven followed by lyle lyle crocodile at number eight barbarian at number nine and at number 10 the re-release of avatar which was in theaters for just a couple of weeks uh, several weeks ago before we move on, I want to thank one of the sponsors for this week's video, StoryWorth. If you're spending time with loved ones for the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories, the ones you like to hear and the ones, quite frankly, you've heard maybe one too many times. But have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document those timeless stories? Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick 
from their collection. All they have to do is reply with a story, then after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and even photos into an exquisite hardcover book, creating a valued keepsake. I've been collecting stories from my mom for several months now, and I've learned so much about my family that she's never told me, including a great story about my grandmother driving her around town all afternoon to find the one kind of candy she wanted as a little girl. Even after my grandmother's gone, I'm still learning new things about her. Help your family share their story this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash Merle today and save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Merle to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash Merle. So let's take a moment and look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Black Panther Wakanda Forever was the last film in Phase 4. There's one holiday special that's technically a Phase 4 project, but for all intents and purposes, Phase 4 is over. And I decided to look at the numbers for each of the different phases and talk about how Phase 4 is done at the box office, how it compares to the other films in the MCU, and maybe any lessons or insights that we can glean from that. So let's look first of all at opening weekends by phase. The average opening weekend for a movie in phase one of the MCU, which started way back in 2008, was $103.9 million. The median opening was $83.9 million. I decided to supply both the average and the median for all of these numbers. When we get to phase two, the average opening weekend was $116.2 million, which represented an 11.8% increase from phase one the median opening weekend 94.6 million dollars which was a 14.2 percent increase then we get to phase three which was very long and contained some of the biggest box office hits of the entire marvel universe 162.6 million dollar average opening weekend for movies in phase three a 39.9 percent increase from phase two the median opening weekend was 146.5 million dollars a 54.8 percent increase from the median opening for phase two. And then we get to phase four, the phase that we've just completed. The average opening weekend, still pretty high, $141.8 million. That represented a 12.8% drop from phase three. And then the median opening weekend for phase four, $144.1 million, basically almost exactly on par with the previous phase, a 1.6% drop. Of course, there's so much in between the lines on Phase 3 and Phase 4. You had a year's worth, basically, of theater closures due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You had the simultaneous streaming release and theatrical release of Black Widow, along with depressed attendance numbers across the board at the box office as the movie-going business came back. But you also had films like Spider-Man No Way Home that still set box office records. So, of course, as with everything else, things should be taken into context when we look at these numbers. But I think that this is very instructive because we can see what the trajectory of the MCU is right now. Now, maybe going into phase five, if the theatrical business makes a rebound, then we'll see a lot of these percentages go up. But this is just a snapshot in time. Next, let's look at the MCU final domestic grosses by phase. Now, this one is excluding Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'll show you these numbers in just a moment where I kind of simulate where I think the movie's going to end up. The average domestic gross for a Marvel Phase 1 film was $291.1 million. The median domestic gross for a Phase 1 movie, $246.7 million. When we get to Phase 2, the average domestic gross goes up to $308 million. That's a 5.8% increase. The median domestic gross goes up to $200. 
196.7 million. That's a 20.3% increase. Then again, we get to phase three, the blockbuster phase. The average domestic gross of an MCU phase three film was $450 million, a 46.1% increase from phase two. So a huge increase in domestic gross on an average basis from phase two to phase three. When we look at the median domestic gross, a 296.7 median for phase two, a 390.5 median domestic gross for phase three. So a 31.6% increase there. So anyway, you cut it a big jump when we look at domestic grosses from phase two to phase three. And then we get to phase four, and these aren't pretty numbers. If you exclude Black Panther Wakanda Forever, then phase four's average domestic gross was $356.9 million. That's a drop of 20.7%. Phase four's median domestic gross was $343.2 million. That's a drop of 12%. And you might be thinking, well, if you add in Wakanda Forever, then those numbers are going to change pretty drastically. And the answer is they don't actually really change that much. The median stays the same just because of how much Wakanda Forever has already earned. But I went ahead and estimated a final domestic gross to add in and see what the average final gross of a Phase 4 film would be if Wakanda Forever performs the way that I think it does. I gave Wakanda Forever an estimated final domestic gross of $425 million. That puts it slightly ahead of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of madness. I think that that's about where it's going to end up. So if you add that into the average domestic final gross for phase four, that brings us to $366.6 million, which is still an 18.5% drop. So on an average basis, we're seeing domestic grosses between phase three and phase four drop about 15 to 20%, which again, isn't that surprising considering the radical changes that went on in the exhibition market over the past two years. Let's look at worldwide grosses because Marvel movies play all around the world and these changes are even more pronounced. Phase one had an average worldwide gross of $634.4 million and a median gross of $517.2 million. In phase two, the average worldwide gross jumped 38.2% to $876.5 million. The median gross jumped 43.6% to $742.6 million. Phase three things got even bigger. The average worldwide final gross for an MCU film in phase three was $1.2 billion, a 39.9% increase. The median worldwide gross for an MCU film in phase three was $1.1 billion, a 52% increase in the median worldwide gross. And then we get to phase four. The average worldwide final gross for phase four, excluding Wakanda Forever, $803 million, a drop of 34.5%. So excluding Wakanda Forever, a nearly uniform drop between the average gross and the median gross. But again, I wanted to estimate what these numbers might look like with how I am projecting Wakanda Forever to do. And I'm actually projecting it to come in below Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness globally at an $875 million final gross. It may well go above that. Again, this is just my best guess, but also you can see the number barely changes when we look at the average gross. It goes to $813.7 million worldwide for a drop of 33.7%. So the number really doesn't make that much of a difference. We're looking at a drop in worldwide grosses for Marvel films in phase four of about one third, which again, isn't that shocking. Number one, no China release really, for any Marvel film, and no China release in the near future slated for any Marvel film. That's a big part of the worldwide box office picture that is completely gone. This, though, I think, is the most important graphic, and the one that I'm drawing most of my conclusions on, and this is MCU budget. 
by phase. How much were these films budgeted for? Now, some of them may have cost more than this. This is just how much they were allotted to make each film. The average budget for an MCU phase one movie was $162.5 million. The median budget was $145 million. When you get to phase two, those numbers go up. The average budget for an MCU phase two film was $199.2 million. That's a 22.6% increase. The median budget was $170 million. That's a 17.2% increase. We get into the biggest phase of the MCU. The average budget goes up to $212.7 million, a 6.8% increase. And the median budget goes up to $180 million, a 5.9% increase. Then we get to phase four. We mentioned that the domestic and worldwide grosses have been dropping, but the budgets don't drop by nearly as much. The average budget for an MCU Phase 4 film, $207.1 million, a 2.6% decrease. The median MCU budget, $200 million, an 11.1% decrease. Keeping in mind, this doesn't include anything streaming. This is just theatrical. The whole streaming side of it, that's a whole other thing that we're probably going to talk about later this week. So let's put all these numbers together. The fourth phase of the MCU compared to the third phase of the MCU. The average opening weekend down by 12.8%. The median opening weekend down by 1.6%. The average domestic gross down by 18.5%. The median domestic gross down by 12.1%. The average worldwide gross down by 33.7%. The median worldwide gross down by 34%. But when you look at the budget numbers, average budget down by 2.6%, median budget down by 11.1%. And I think this is the most important takeaway when you look at the success or failure of Marvel Phase 4 financially. It's not really that surprising that after the big finale of Avengers Endgame, when you're going to newer movies with a lot of newer characters, things like Eternals and Shang-Chi, etc., that your grosses are going to drop. But the budgets for these films haven't really dropped in accordance with that. Marvel is still budgeting these movies as if they're still performing at the level they did back in Phase 3, but they're not, at least not right now. $750 million like Thor 11 Thunder did, nine times out of 10, that's a great performance, but that movie was budgeted at $250 million. It had such a high bar to clear in order to turn a profit in the theatrical window. And that's basically the situation that Marvel has put themselves in throughout Phase 4. Most of their films have been budgeted as if they were still in Phase 3 without regard to the fact that Phase 3 was the culmination of years of storytelling where every single movie was regarded as absolutely essential in order to get the full story as you build up to Avengers Endgame. Here you're resetting the story. Obviously, a lot of people not thinking that the movies are as essential, and you would hope if you're Kevin Feige and you're Marvel, that perhaps you would anticipate that. Instead, it seemed like they anticipated that people would stay loyal to the brand no matter what and still go see these movies in the same numbers. Now, what they couldn't anticipate, obviously, was the COVID-19 pandemic and the audience depression that would follow. But I don't think that's the only reason why we see those audience numbers drop. And the thing that I will be curious to see going forward is what do the budgets of the next Marvel films look like? Is there an acknowledgement that yes, these movies are still doing well, $700, $800 million on average, but we need to bring those budgets down in order to ensure that they keep turning a profit? Or is Marvel's mindset, hey, we just have to keep investing huge amounts of money into this universe and we'll just trust that we're going to break through this and when we bring in Fantastic Four, we bring in X-Men or whatever, then we're going to get back to those one, 1.2, 1.3 billion dollar grosses. Keeping in mind that Marvel's biggest financial success, Spider-Man No Way Home, they don't even get to keep all that money. 
that's a split with Sony. So looking at the overall health of phase four, what we really see is a decrease in the number of people going to see in opening weekend, but it looks like you kept most of that base there. You're only looking at about a 10% decrease, a bigger decrease as far as people that are going to see the movies overall domestically. So you shed some of that audience outside of the opening weekend and an even bigger decrease when you look at worldwide grosses, largely because the entire Chinese market is lost to the MCU for the foreseeable future. One thing is for sure, if Marvel keeps budgeting the way they've been budgeting and the movies keep performing the way that they've been performing, then they're going to have to be some very tough conversations very soon because those profit margins are going to start getting slimmer in the theatrical market. And we already know that streaming is losing the studios tons of money by design right now. And the economics of that are now coming back into play. When you look at the changeover in CEO with Bob Iger replacing Bob Chapek at Disney. So was phase four a catastrophe for Marvel? No, I don't think it was a catastrophe, but it definitely was a correction. And I think it may have shown them that those high highs of phase three are not bulletproof. And I think it'll be interesting to see what their reaction is going into phase five, phase six and beyond. Let's get back to the box office and look at the international market. So this is everywhere except for the United States and Canada. Black Panther Wakanda Forever was the number one movie internationally. Detective Conan, The Bride of Halloween was number two with $11.3 million. Now this is an anime film from Japan, but it actually opened in Japan earlier this year. This box office number is from its opening this past weekend in China. So China not playing the MCU, not playing a lot of movies from Hollywood, but still bringing in movies from other countries. The menus at number three with $6.2 million. Black Adams at number four with $5.1 million. And then a Chinese film, The Tipping Point, is at number five with $3.8 million. So when you take the international market, you combine it with the domestic market, we get our top five films worldwide. And Black Panther Wakanda Forever is number one worldwide. Not quite as steep a drop off. It dropped about 58.9% worldwide in week two. So we'll keep tracking to see how that global number looks. The menu's at number two with 15.2 million, followed by Detective Conan, The Bride of Halloween, $11.3 million. That's the 25th movie, by the way, in that series of movies, also known as Case Closed. Black Adam's at number four with 9.7 million. And The Chosen Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2, did well enough domestically to come in on the chart at number five with 8.8 million. A little bit of movement on the 2022 domestic box office chart. The top five remains the same. Top Gun Maverick, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Jurassic World Dominion, Minions, The Rise of Gru, and The Batman. Thor Love and Thunder stays at number six for now, but Black Panther Wakanda Forever is fast on the rise. It's now at number seven with $287.1 million. Depending on how it does this holiday week, it is conceivable perhaps that it could surpass Thor Love and Thunder by the time we're sitting here next Tuesday morning. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 drops down to number eight. Black Adam goes up one spot to number nine. And Elvis drops down one spot to number 10. Also some movement on the 2022 worldwide box office. Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Minions The Rise of Gru, and The Batman are still numbers one through five. Thor Love and Thunder's at number six. The Battle at Lake Chungjin 2 is at number seven. But entering the chart at number eight and eclipsing the half billion dollar mark worldwide is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. $546.2 million. We will see how it does over this next week. Moon Man from China drops down one spot to number nine. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore drops down one spot to number 10. And then leaving the chart after nearly a year is Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which hung in there for most of 2022, but will not be one of the 10 highest grossing movies worldwide for this year. 
When we look at the worldwide box office for the previous 365 days, so you take today's date, you go back one year on the calendar. These were the top 10 films over that period of time. Spider-Man No Way Home remains number one, just 25 days left on the chart until it rotates out. Top Gun Mavericks at number two. Jurassic World Dominion is at number three. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is at number four. Minions the Rise of Gru is at number five. The Batman at number six. Thor Love and Thunder at number seven. The Battle at Lake Chungjin 2 is at number eight. Black Panther Wakanda Forever now on the chart. Its clock starts today, $546.2 million and day one. Moon Man drops down one spot to number 10. And then Sing 2 drops off this chart for the second time in the previous 365 days after a second stint that lasted just under a month. We will continue in just a moment, but I want to thank another one of our sponsors this week, ExpressVPN. What if there was someone out there who, let's say, kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? Maybe they made a list that they checked frequently to see if you were good or bad. That creepiness is worth it when you're getting presents, but what if I told you that it's exactly what happens every time you go online? Your internet provider is allowed to store logs of your activity and then can legally sell that data to anybody. That's why I always use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your interconnection through their secure servers so that your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Many VPNs claim to have a no logs policy, but ExpressVPN is the only one to use trusted server technology, which makes it impossible for their VPN servers to store any data, including logs of any ExpressVPN customer. And you don't have to take my or ExpressVPN's word for it. ExpressVPN is so confident in their no logs claim, they even had one of the biggest assurance firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers, audit their technology. Stop letting people keep logs of what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Merle right now and find out how you can get three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Merle, expressvpn.com slash Merle to learn more. Before we get to the streaming charts, this is the part of the show where I like to take a look back at a weekend in box office past and also take time to remember people in the entertainment industry that have passed on. And last week was very sad talking about the unexpected death of Kevin Conroy. This week, also another unexpected death, especially for people, again, my age and also just a little bit younger who tuned into Fox in the afternoons. And that is Jason David Frank, who many people knew as Tommy, the Green Ranger or the White White Ranger. He was involved in the Power Rangers franchise for many, many years. Power Rangers was sort of one of those last things that came out as I was transitioning into young adulthood. So I was a little bit into Power Rangers, that green Power Ranger figure you see there. One of the last action figures that I actually bought to play with uh, instead of putting it in a box or well, I've got to display it on my set. But Jason David Frank was known to many people, not only for being in many episodes and series of Power Rangers, but also being an ambassador for the brand. I actually had a chance to meet him several years ago when I was at Comic-Con covering stuff for Screen Junkies. He was an incredibly nice person, always willing to take pictures with fans, didn't really seem to be running away from this show that had followed him uh, for most of his career. The thing with these actors and these people that we grow attached to in different shows and movies, etc., and when you see them at conventions and stuff, it feels like as a fan that you get to know who they are, like you know them personally. And the fact of the matter is that you never really quite know what somebody is going through. You never know what's happening when the cameras turn off or when they go behind the curtain at a convention. And so obviously very sad to lose an actor that's part of a franchise that has endured for so many decades and has been a part of that franchise 
guys for so many decades and even more tragic to know that there were personal demons that he was battling as well. But regardless, Jason David Frank, a part of so many different generations of kids' lives through this show. As always, my thoughts go out to his friends, family, and fans. Let's look now at a weekend in box office history, and through a weird quirk of scheduling, the 46th weekend of 1988 covered the same dates as our box office flashback from last week, but I just like this group of movies. So let's look at the 46th weekend of 1988. It was November 11th through the 13th, and it was the debut of a new horror franchise starring a killer doll called Child's Play. Kind of crazy to think that it actually debuted in early November. A $6.5 million debut for number one, given a run for its money, though, by Ernest Saves Christmas, starring Jim Varney. If you don't know Ernest, one of the dumbest characters ever created, but one of my favorites when I was a kid, and I loved this movie. $5.7 million debut in second place. At number three, Iron Eagle 2, which was the second film in a Lewis Gossett Jr. fighter pilot franchise. In its second week was John Carpenter's They Live with a 42.6% drop and a $2.7 million total. Kind of weird to think that They Live and Ernest Saves Christmas were in theaters at the same time. And then at number five, the Dennis Quaid sports drama Everybody's All-American, which was directed by Taylor Hackford. In its second week, a 23.7% drop and a $2.6 million total. But as we've been doing here on the show, we're not just looking at a flashback. We're also going to be hitting the inflation button to see what this weekend would have looked like if you put it in today's box office dollars. So let's see what that looks like. And you'll see that Child's Play would have debuted to $16.5 million, followed by $14.3 million for Ernest Saves Christmas, $8.8 million for Iron Eagle 2, $6.9 million for the second weekend of They Live, and $6.5 million for week two of Everybody's All-American. Before we wrap up the show, as we always do, let's take a look at what people are watching at home through various different streaming services. And we'll start with what people are buying and renting over in the iTunes store. Ticket to Paradise still in the top five at the box office, but also number one on iTunes, available for purchase and premium video on demand. Bullet Train is at number two. Top Gun Maverick at number three. Lamborghini, the man behind the legend. This movie was written and directed by Robert Moresco, who won an Oscar for writing Crash believe it or not. Frank Grillo stars as Ferruccio Lamborghini with Gabriel Byrne as Enzo Ferrari, making its debut available for purchase and rental. Nope is at number five. At number six is Jurassic World Dominion making a return to the chart. Illuminations The Grinch is at number seven. At number eight, a five movie collection of Pirates of the Caribbean was good enough for that eight spot. I guess people were looking to buy a lot of Captain Jack Sparrow movies. 3,000 Years of Longing makes its debut on the chart, available for purchase or rental at number nine. And Minions The Rise of Gru returns to the chart at number 10. Let's turn now to the Netflix charts. And these are the top 10 most watched programs according to my global Merle metric. I basically have come up with my own way of measuring Netflix viewership. I look at the length of a program and the number of hours watched. I divide those numbers to come up with something I call the PFV number. That's potential finished views. The number of Netflix viewers that could have potentially finished viewing a show or movie. At number one is the Lindsay Lohan Christmas film Falling for Christmas with a PFV of 31.2, meaning 31.2 million potential viewers, 48.3 million hours watched. Enola Holmes 2 falls to number two with a PFV of 29.2. Minions and More, Volume 2, which is a collection of shorts from Illumination, Minions, and other parts of their franchises. 
Just 13.5 million hours watched, but a PFV of 15.4, good enough for third place. That's why we adjust these numbers. Lost Bullet 2, which is a French action film, is at number four with a PFV of 14.9. Debuting at number five is The Crown Season 5 with a PFV of 12.3. This covers the debut week of Season 5, which would have been November the 7th through the 13th. Interesting to see that not a lot of people binge The Crown, but we don't binge The Crown either. We've only watched three episodes. I think people just kind of tend to spread those episodes out a little bit more with that show. Manifest Season 4, which is now a Netflix original series, debuts at number 6 with a PFE of 9.8. The first Enola Holmes movie is at number 7 with a PFE of 9.1. Medieval, which was on the iTunes charts last week, also at number 8 on the Netflix charts with a PFE of 8.7. The Good Nurse at number 9 with a PFE of 7.35. And right behind The Good Nurse is The Bad Guys with a PFE of 7.34. Let's look now at the Nielsen streaming numbers. Now, there are a lot of caveats with these numbers. They're about a month delayed, so this is for the week of October 17th to the 23rd. They don't include all streaming services, although a lot more are now signing on to be included, and they don't include all devices, just the ones that Nielsen is able to measure, but it's just kind of a good indicator of roughly what's being watched. The most watched streaming movie reported for October 17th through the 23rd was The School for Good and Evil on Netflix with 17.6 million total hours watched, easily number one over The Curse of Bridge Hollow, also on Netflix with 8.5 million hours watched. Halloween Ends on Peacock is at number three with 6.4 million hours watched, right behind Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney Plus with 6.43 million hours watched. So leading into the Halloween season, a lot of people catching some spooky films. Luckiest Girl Alive on Netflix is at number Five with 4.2 million hours watched, followed by The Nightmare Before Christmas on Disney+. Plus. Speaking of spooky movies, 3.7 million hours watched. At number seven is Sing 2 on Netflix with 3.6 million hours watched. Dracula Untold on Netflix, debuting at number eight with 3.28 million hours. Blackout on Netflix is at number nine with 3.2 million hours. And Encanto, a frequent film on this chart, back on at number 10 with 3.1 million hours watched. Looking at the most watched streaming shows for that same week, October 17th to the 23rd, The Watcher on Netflix, an easy number one with 43.2 million hours watched. House of the Dragon on HBO Max seeing a big surge in its finale week, 16.8 million hours watched. You'll see that Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on Amazon dropped off the top 10 most watched streaming shows chart completely, while House of the Dragon finishes at number two. The Sinner on Netflix is at number three, debuting with 15.5 million hours watched, followed by The Blacklist on Netflix, NCIS on Netflix, Gilmore Girls on Netflix, Coco Melon on Netflix, Love is Blind on Netflix, debuting at number eight with 11.3 million, Unsolved Mysteries, Netflix's rebooted version at number nine with 11.2 million, and then Dahmer Monsters staying in the top 10 with 9.9 million hours watched. Much like the Netflix ratings, I also do some adjustments to the Nielsen ratings and generate an hours watched per episode to kind of average out the watch time with the number of available episodes for each of these shows. And the show with the most hours watched per episode is still Watcher. Seven available episodes with a watch time per episode of 6.18 million, easily the top spot there. House of the Dragon for the first time tops Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on this chart 
1.68 million hours watched per episode, now with a full complement of 10 season one episodes. Although Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is still strong on a per episode basis, eight episodes, the full first season available for an hour's watch per episode of 1.19 million. Netflix is from scratch is next with 1.09 million hours watched for each of its eight episodes. Dahmer's at number five, just under a million, 998,333 hours watched per episode. Andor, which debuted its seventh episode this week, is at number six with 995,000 hours watched per episode. Coco Melon's at number seven. The Midnight Club's at number eight. Unsolved Mysteries at number nine. And then The Center at number 10 with an hours watched per episode of just over half a million. And that wraps it up for the charts this week. I know it has been a busy week. Let's look at a busier Thanksgiving week ahead for us here in the U.S. Debuting tomorrow, Wednesday, in limited release is a Sundance film that will also be getting a streaming release on Amazon Prime, Nanny. Very buzzy and potentially relevant during the award show season. Also premiering tomorrow on Netflix, the first season of The Addams Family Reimagining Wednesday the finale of Andor debuts on Disney Plus Wednesday. And we have several movies that are also making their debut. The Fableman says that it's going to be everywhere this Wednesday. Well, I'll tell you this, it's not within 125 miles of where I live. So they have a very interesting idea of what everywhere is. Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out, will begin a limited theatrical run for just one week before its streaming debut on Netflix in December. I have reviewed that movie here on the channel. You can click the little card up in the corner to see what I thought of it. The new Disney animated film Strange World also debuts tomorrow, along with the fighter pilot drama Devotion. I'll be seeing both of those films and bringing you my thoughts in one way or another. Then on Friday, we get the limited release of Noah Baumbach's newest film, White Noise, starring Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig, one of the most interesting movies I've seen this year so far. I'm still kind of gathering my thoughts about that one. And then on Friday on Disney+, Plus, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special officially, I suppose, ends Phase 4 for the MCU, an original special directed by James Gunn starring the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy. I will have my review of that here on the channel this week. Thanks so much for sticking with me through all these numbers. Thank you to my partners at Carbon Health. Thank you to my sponsors at StoryWorth and ExpressVPN. But most of all, thank you for watching. I'll be back here throughout the week talking about the latest movie news, everything going on at Disney, movie reviews, streaming reviews, box office next week. The end of the season is such a crush of movies and TV and everything else to talk about. And I'll be here trying to cover as much of it as I can. If you're in the US or you're celebrating Thanksgiving, have a happy and safe holiday week and weekend. If you're not in the US, just have a safe week and weekend anyway, and I'll see you back here very soon. Bye. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.